Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. And Stephanie. And, you know, we don't, you know, I say we don't do a lot of interviews on Free Talk Live, but here on the Sunday edition, actually, we've had two interviews in two weeks. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, but um, but and, both of them are superstars, right. so I think we can make an exception. That's really I'm what excited. it comes down to. When you've got big names and they uh, make themselves available to you, you jump on the opportunity. So let's go directly into Wendy McElroy. Wendy, hello, how are you? All is well. Hi, Wendy. I'm so excited Hi, to have you on. <laughs> to hear you. <laughs> so, Wendy, um, probably the the single biggest reason that I immediately said yes when I when the, when the interview was offered is I know that Stephanie is a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, and and you know, why don't you give everybody your your bio a little bit here before we go on? Um, my bio I've I've been a libertarian. I've been a, in the movement since I was 15 years old, and I fell in love with Ayn Rand and uh, became impassioned about those ideas, about the idea of, of the individual having a chance against the collective and standing up and uh, em- empowering herself. Uh, I became uh, enamored of Murray Rothbard, became an anarchist at that point, um, and uh, went on to write books, uh, lecture, and for the next few decades, work in grassroots activism with the belief that individuals make a difference, that you really can change society one idea at a time, one person at a time. And, and Wendy, and, I would like to tell a little anecdote along the lines of what you just said. I remember meeting you in mm, probably about 2003, maybe, at a Institute for Humane Studies seminar, which I know they've been an advertiser on Free Talk Live before. And the, are. Uh, <laughs> and, and still are, yep. And... Uh, Wendy and I met each other and I had read her writing online and I was so excited to finally meet her in person and we were having lunch together and I I don't know if you remember this Wendy but I sure do you were wearing a necklace that had a black flag on it and you held up your necklace and you said I'm an anarchist that's what this necklace means to me <laughs> and I it stuck with me I, I I thought about it at that point and I was like wow She's an anarchist, and she's so nice, and she's so wonderful and smart, and she's a great writer, and I'm really inspired by this woman. And I just remembered that story, and I wanted to make sure that our listeners know that, yes, you really can change uh, the world one idea at a time and one person at a time. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and anarchism does not mean chaos or, or destruction or violence. What it means is I respect you, mm-hmm. and I will not deal with you except with your consent. That's what it means. Absolutely. Now, don't you have this other uh, this term that gets bandied about with your name, uh, feminist? What's that mean to you? Oh, 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 oh! You bring up you, you need talk to, need to talk about f words, do you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have you on for a long time today, Wendy. So we might as well just get everything laid out. <laughs> okay, I'm I am to be spared nothing. I can tell. Um, Yes, feminism. Feminism is a term that has been so misused and so abused and, and appropriated. What it meant in, in, when it originated and its origins are classical liberalism. Its origins are Mary Wollstonecraft uh, and, and in America, the abolitionist movement, the anti-slavery movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that women should be the equal of men. And when they say should, I mean, there's, there, there's no question. We are the equal of men in terms of a species, but mm-hmm. in terms of law and how culture 
views us, we should be the equals of men. And what's happened is that it, it, it's taken uh, mainstream feminism or, or gender feminism, as it's known today, has taken this idea of, of equality under just laws and turned it into privilege mm-hmm. and made it into something that um, women are supposed to be rec- recompensed for past wrongs, that the state is supposed to be some kind of historical uh, remedial historian that corrects past wrongs, and, and today the women are enjoying privileges at the expense of men, and they call it freedom to have the state as some kind of sugar daddy, some <laughs> yep. sort of patriarchal um, you know, a, a force that, that, that takes care of them. They call this independence. What independence is and what equality is is just that. We are equal under just laws. Women, when they give birth, give birth not only to a daughter, but to a son. And when they give birth to a daughter, it is not a a sign of equality to say, therefore, let us slap this this other child across the face in order to to, uh, make you equal and make you free or, or give you pride. Yeah, we're equal because we're all human beings, and as such, we have natural rights, and we, uh, as you said earlier, Wendy, deserve the same respect um, for each other. And I think what the gender feminists do, or the the feminists who want to use the state to kind of give women special privileges, is they really kind of pit the genders against each other. And that's one of the things that uh, discouraged me for a long time about feminism. Now, since becoming a little bit more educated about especially individualist feminism and the feminists who are in the libertarian um, radical individualist feminist tradition, um, I, I've become a lot more open-minded to that word and a lot more um, in, interested in the ideas. And uh, it's people like you that I have to thank for that. Well, thank you so much. Now, Wendy, um, uh, as a you know, speaking as the only one with a Kawhi chromosome here, the um, <laughs> you know uh, this this draws up some interesting ideas to me. Now, certainly until I had uh, met Stephanie um, and you know actually brought her on to the show and we'd done a show together, I hadn't heard of any of these ideas. And frankly, it sounds like I got two of you now. But um, the <laughs> you know the I, for me, I see that of course women own their bodies, so therefore they um, you know are they, they are equal and and all those things. I've, I've got that, but in a world without law. How does I mean when I've got this uh, shoulder girdle that is uh, twice as powerful as uh, um, as Stephanie's? How is it that we are equal? I don't know about in a that. I work without, out. <laughs> I, I, I'll outbench you, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm not saying I can fight you. You hit me, I'm going to scream and run away. You're going to be very embarrassed. Everybody's going to look at you funny. But <laughs> if but I mean you know in a world without law, how is it? How can you? How can one have equality between the genders in a world without law? Are you saying that anarchy is a world without law? Is that the, what you're saying? Isn't that what it because means? I, I, no, anarchy means without a ruler, without without a, a, an authority on, on high. Law basically will will uh, continue. Uh, all societies have laws, whether or not they they are have a government. Uh, I believe in law. Mm-hmm. I believe in in uh, natural law of. of and if I violate it, if I, I aggress against you, I, I not only accept the consequence of of of, uh, of being tried and and a punishment. I all, I invite it. 
Now, I'm toying with you just a little bit here, Wendy, because we have conversations like this all the time. And, um, you know, you probably haven't listened to Free Talk Live a whole bunch, especially not the Sunday edition. But um, the so where does law Are you come toying with me? I just, you just said you're toying with just me. Just slightly. Okay, just ahead. slightly toying with you. <laughs> um, the it, it, Where does law come from if there's no government? You said no, no government and no rulers, but then you mentioned law and courts. Well, basically, the free market would basically would provide for uh, justice services and and for uh, law in the same manner that it would provide for grocery stores. Uh, there is a market for law. There is a market to be safe. You wish to be safe, uh, and and there would be private police forces. There would be private insurance companies. There would be private courts, uh, competing court systems. And you can say, well, maybe there will be breakdowns in law. Maybe different people would see, for example, intellectual property. (laughs) We did that last week. (laughs) We had Stefan Kinsella on last week, Wendy. (laughs) Oh, Kinsella's great. Um, (laughs) Quite apart from that, there would be disagreements, but how would that be different or, or worse than what's going on right now. You know, I guess um, I guess my question would be this: is as, as long as you, as long, if, if I can complete, as long as you restrict the laws to things that are clear and and egregious violations of rights, it seems that the law would be fairly obvious. Someone mm-hmm. comes on my property and rapes my daughter. That's a problem. Wendy, please Someone hold the line. On. We'll we'll be right back. Wendy McElroy on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. Uh, You can call in right now. Calls for Wendy McElroy are going to take precedent here on Free Talk Live. This is the live Sunday edition. With Mark and Stephanie. Not too many radio programs bringing you a live Sunday edition, but Free Talk Live does that. We also bring you archives. Archives going back for five years at at archives.freetalklive.com. You can go there. You can download them. They're completely free. It's archives.freetalklive.com. Let's go back to Wendy. Wendy, you there? I am sure. Yes, I am. Okay, good. <laughs> now, um, during the break, we had a, a call come in and um, for you, so I'm going to just uh, patch Joshua in here real quick, and uh, we'll find out what just what question Joshua has for you. Oh shoot! I just dropped her. Yeah, I can show you how to um, lock that in next time. But okay. I'm sure she'll call back. Oh, Joshua, I hate it when that. Happens. Joshua, hold the line, and and we're going to see if we can get uh, Wendy back here, please, if you would. Oh, Wendy, please call back. <laughs> <laughs> she will. But do you want to find out what Joshua has to say in the meantime? Because I think, uh, if I recall, when you screened him, you said he disagreed with something. Or? Okay. Well, let's just take uh, Joshua here, and he can ask his question to Stephanie, and then Wendy will call back in, and I, I'll know. I'll know what it's. We're her all the, the same line. anyway, right? We're all the women. Just, yeah. You girls. <laughs> Joshua, you there? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Two two things had me hopping around. I had to call in. These get kicked around all the time, and. They're they're supposed to be stepping. Hold the line just one second, um, Joshua. Hold hold, right. hold just one second. We got Wendy right here. Now um, Stephanie's going to push this button. Okay, push that button, and we got her. Is, is she locked in? Okay, I'm back. Okay, my fault, Wendy. <laughs> That's not easy to get rid of me. Wendy, you're locked in now, so we made sure okay. of it. My mistake. <laughs> so we had Joshua on the phones, and he was just about hi, to tell us what what was on his mind. Hi, hi Wendy. <laughs> Go ahead, Joshua. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, you're you're. you're 
you're you're doing great, and I I agree with the uh, generally the conclusions that you make. I think there's some stepping stones you're using to get there that are going to fall out from under you. One uh, is the idea of being uh, being equal. See, I hear that kicked around a lot, and when I ask equal in what way, you know, as Mark pointed out, his his shoulder girdle, which I should get one of those, might have start to sag, uh, is a natural law. So if we don't have agreement between ourselves as to what equality means, then there's going to be an issue, and probably it's going to result in blood at some point. Uh, another one is free market. Free markets will never exist anywhere but on paper. So if you have an agreement amongst a group of people as to how we conduct our market, now that would be one thing. And we can say, here are the restrictions we can live with, and here's the ones we can't. Joshua, I'm going to let her answer that. I'm going to let her answer that okay. question with you off the air because there's with four people going at once, it can get really unwieldy. And I appreciate, I do okay, appreciate the I'm, call, Wendy. What do you I'm think like about all that? I, I have a bad connection, so so please bear with me while I respond um, to what I think I've heard. And and Joshua, thank you. That's probably a, one of the key questions that faces people who want freedom, and that is uh, law. And how, how do we make it equal? And how do we make it just? Well, what is equality, I, first of all? I think that's one of the things Joshua was wondering. How do you define equality? Equality is, uh, it, frankly, is, is the simple part of it. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're white or black. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. All human beings, simply by being human, have the same, equal, have the same rights as anyone else. And that right is to their own person and to their own property. Uh, they have the right. It, 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 it is, you know, basically take your hand and slap your skin right now. Everything underneath that skin is you. Everything underneath that skin belongs to you. And no one, no one has a right to aggress past that barrier. You wouldn't think you wouldn't think Wendy that this is such a radical notion that everybody is a human being and as such they have natural rights but apparently some people think it well, is. I think that there's um yeah. I, I think there's th- there's something that goes a little further. So like if I choose to force my wife to try to try to force my wife to do something, I'm going to have some varying degree of success, right? Like I'm stronger than she is. She's, she's not a small woman by any any means and there's uh, you know certain ways to fight uh, dirty that uh, one can have an advantage at, but you know generally I'm stronger than she is. What it really is is a notion in society that might keep a woman in a relationship where she's being you know treated poorly physically because if she can't go anywhere to get safety if other people believe that it's my right to beat my wife or whatever then she's not going to have any kind of uh, sucker as it were or safety um you know it's an old word i shouldn't use it um, <laughs> i didn't understand in, 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 she's not gonna have a home base a safe place to go yep. because other people believe that that is my right as a husband and it was if, that way for a long right. time in history if people don't believe yeah. that that's my right as a husband then she'll likely be able to escape my tyranny my, uh, my attempt at tyranny and she'll have other places to go and things like that. So really what it is is a, a mind change. Yes, the, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change that men are going to be stronger than women. But what... Oh, but that's, that's not been the case for a very long time. Okay. Um, it, it, I mean, for decades. Uh, and believe me, when you talk about the idea of people being forced to do this and forced to do that, through, not, not, not through physical violence, but through 
cultural norms or the pr- uh, peer pressure or whatever. I, I you know, I, I lived on the streets when I was 16 years old. I, I, I ran away from home, and, and uh, because of cultural uh, of, of uh, environmental problems, wow. and so I'm very attuned to how powerful they are. Mm. But there is a very big difference between uh, the, the cultural and psychological force that is brought to bear that makes people conform or whatever, and to physical violence that forces them. To, to accept the situation, and as much as I, I as I said, I, I, I very much empathize with people who are culturally and psychologically um, uh, compelled in, in certain situations, the law shouldn't address it. The law has nothing to do with that. The law should address only what is a physical violation of who you are, your, your property, and your person. And in the last few decades, laws have overwhelmingly been against men and not women. You talk about women being compelled to be in relationships with, that are damaging, relationships that, that uh, they can't escape. In the last several decades, several, mm, last three decades, uh, laws have basically said that women can get restraining orders against men very easily with mm-hmm. almost no justification at all mm-hmm. that they can uh, put men in jail on uh, right uh, level a spurious and, charge and there's nothing that uh, that really there's nothing that can be done about it yes absolutely and, and let's get one thing uh clarified here wendy uh, i think joshua was, was hung up on the word equality or equal because he was maybe defining that as same equal doesn't mean the same right um, because oh, no. Physical strength is is something that differs from individual to individual, and of course, testosterone plays a role in that. But when we're talking about equality, it's just that I don't like the term either. Frankly, equality. Yeah. I don't believe that um, you, Wendy, and you, Stephanie, are equal to me. I believe you're free, mm-hmm. and that's what I believe because I don't think anybody's equal. I, frankly, I'm the smartest well, man in the universe. Everybody and, is not the same. But but you know, so the, but how can one be truly equal? Against, well, but we're all human uh, beings. Based but on we're what not measurement. We're, we're not talking about egalitarianism. We're talking about equal in terms of under just law. You and I are equal under the law. That is that nothing. Hold about the line. You. Free talk live. 855-453-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. What is SACL, you say? SACL CAI. It's a company that handles accounts receivable for your business, whatever your business might be. If you have accounts receivable, whether they, um, you need them purchased or um, early out billing done or just collections done, SACL CAI can do it all, and they do it with respect. The d- principal over there, Jason Osborne, big proponent of liberty, big proponent of Free Talk Live. He believes that uh, the best way to do business is treating people with respect. It's SACL CAI. Let's go back to Wendy McElroy and um, go right ahead. So, okay, Wendy, I know that uh, you had something that you wanted to talk about that's a little bit more concrete than the discussion that we've been having so far. And I heard that there was this new, um, I guess, rule that came down from the Department of Education saying that college campuses are basically ordered 
to use the lowest um, standard and proof of proof to punish men who are accused of sexual misconduct on college campuses. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. One of the things I'm passionate about is actual equality in terms of the law and policies treating people equally. Um, And the college campuses, when, when, when sons, male students, go back to college this September, they're going to be walking onto a far more dangerous legal ground than they did last year. And the reason is that the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights sent out on April 4th a Dear Colleague letter. That's what it's being called in, in, uh, with people who are discussing it. And it was a directive that says to every funded, tax-funded university or college... Which is everything but Hillsdale, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's because it's not only direct funding, but indirect funding through student loans. Uh-oh. I didn't touch her this time. Yeah, I neither did is I. Is it a hurricane? <laughs> it could be. It could be. So, um, Them newfangled phone lines. Wendy will probably call I'm back. sure she will. I, she, she was very quick about it the last time. I, <laughs> but she was right in the middle of her conversation, so I don't know if she'll... You know, if she knows right, that she, she got could, She could be talking into the ether at this moment. It's true. It's happened <laughs> so to me before. <laughs> remember where we are in this conversation. Okay. Um, and, and that way, when uh, she comes back, we can sort of give her a reminder. Sure. But, yeah, well, I'm curious about this this new rule, because it's what it sounds like is that the Department of Education is just made one of these bureaucratic rules that doesn't really have to go through. Oh, do we have Wendy back? Yeah, we do. Wendy? Yes. Okay. Hello. So I didn't, it wasn't my fault that time. <laughs> okay. I don't know. If, don't know I, anyway. It's I'm going to blame it on the hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> Can I pick up mid-sentence? <laughs> yes. Do you know where you dropped off or shall we remind you? <laughs> no, I know exactly where I, I what a What a sexist comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who dropped the call twice. Who looks dumb here, Wendy? <laughs> Hey, 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 Mark. When men men walk on campus, they have it coming, okay? (laughs) 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 When men walk on campus this this, um, September, um, they're presumed guilty Mm -hmm. if a sexual offense is brought against them, uh, a charge is brought against them. There is no presumption of innocence. Instead of a... Beyond a reasonable doubt or clear, compelling uh, evidence, which are two legal standards, uh, they basically are going to be judged on things like rape accusations on the preponderance of the evidence, which is the same standard that people use to uh, judge parking tickets in traffic court. Wow. Isn't that, also, what, isn't that also, uh, pardon me for, for jumping in, isn't that also sure. the, um, the same level of standard that they use on an indictment um, by a grand jury as, as opposed to a regular jury trial where you don't yeah. have, get to, um, you know, so, so basically this is enough evidence to be accused is enough evidence to be convicted. Even more than that, yet you are absolutely correct, but even more than that. The letter, the Dear Colleague letter that was sent out by the Department of Education also, in their own words, strongly discourages. And believe me, if someone says, I write your check, you, you listen to them when they say, I strongly discourage you. Mm-hmm. Um, from having the accused face the accuser. Oh, my God. the ability of an accuser, uh, an accused to, to question wow. someone who is accusing them of 
the crime. So basically they're saying they want to, to abrogate all due process. Now, That's what it sounds like. So, Wendy, uh, just to play devil's advocate here, um, I can see how it would be a really bad idea to not have the accused face the accuser because it creates all kinds of opportunities for someone to level an accusation and then never have to be accountable for proving that what they say happened actually happened. But mm-hmm. at the same time, um, you know, there are probably a lot of people out there who will say, hey, violence against women happens and they're often so reluctant to come forward and talk about it because there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of, uh, you know, cultural pressure and fear, and fear uh-huh, of retaliation. So uh, what, what would you say to those people who might say something like that? I would say that Western jurisprudence evolved and has worked in, in a very good way. In, in terms of due process, in terms of uh, presumption of innocence. And when they actually right, follow their they, own rules, right? <laughs> Sometimes they don't. And, and that, in fact, they... Yeah, exactly, when they actually follow their own rules. Good good point. <laughs> um, and as someone who, you know, I, who has experienced sexual violence, I really do not think that someone having rights, someone having... The, the ability to call upon hard evidence and standards of, of evidence that, that meet Western jurisprudence threatens me. I don't see how mm-hmm. it's something that, that is um, a negative. It doesn't... Mm-hmm. False accusations are, are a very big problem in terms of adjudicating problems and adjudicating things in courts and on campuses, if the Duke lacrosse rape thing says anything and tells us anything, it's that we have to basically stay by hard lines of what is um, uh, of evidence and standards. You know, I had a, I had a friend who broke up with this girl. I mean, he wasn't really even dating her, really. As she was, she they were he, she was interested, and he had uh, been basically on a couple of dates with her. And she, um, you know, he broke up with her in in what I considered to be a very coarse and rude way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, co- told her that she was fat or something. I can't remember what, but she was, she was insulting, and she immediately went to uh, the you know there was a law enforcement officer nearby she immediately went to the law enforcement officer and uh, made accusations like he had uh, attempted to uh, get her to you know to, to carry drugs or something in, in the attempt oh, no. you know so she told you know flat wow. out lies the guy didn't have any drugs two wrongs don't make a right right so situation. i mean it was uh, one yeah. one thing was rude so i i've just i know personally that uh, these false accusations can happen and when you look in the news it happens right like and so often it's just it's just the i don't accu- know why I but mean, they look, do look at what happens when people are accused of uh, child pornography or child sexual um, assault or anything like that, it's enough often to get them to lose their job and to have just to, the accusation, just the accusation, no matter whether it's true. And so this seems like it's it does, Wendy, make it even easier for people to levy false accusations and not have to um, provide much evidence that they actually occurred. And I could see this use, being used as a tool of revenge or whatever. And I, I'm kind of curious, does this apply to just the students, or does it apply to professors? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because the thing that uh, that brought this into the news again is that the American Association of University Professors, two different sections of them, wrote in in protest of this policy. And 
the reason they protest was, of course, not... I say, of course, that sounds cynical, but the reason they protested was not because they believed that it was an infringement of student rights or individual rights, but because the same standards that would be brought in judgment of rape and and other assault cases against students would also be brought against sexual harassment charges against professors. Mm-hmm. Wendy, please so hold the line. Just to, just hold the line for, for a second, if you could. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE is the SACL toll-free call-in line. That is 855-450-3733. Incentives matter. Professor, professor excuse me, Angela Dills explains that incentives help economists predict individual behavior. What's difficult is determining all the ways a policy affects people's incentives and changes people's behavior. A good economist looks not only at the obvious incentives created by a policy, but also by the less obvious effects. You can see this video. It's two minutes and 15 seconds long. It's a nice short one that concisely explains incentives in the uh, sort of the world of economics. Share it on your Facebook. Show it to your friends and family. You can see it at learnliberty.org slash FTL. Again, it's learnliberty.org slash FTL. While you're there, check out the Liberty Academy link on the right-hand side of the page. It is a course for people who are looking for free online continuing education in economics, philosophy, liberty, and rights learnliberty.org slash FTL. Let's go back to Wendy McElroy, who is discussing why college professors don't uh, want this new lower standard of uh, proof for uh, sexual crimes on college campuses. Wendy McElroy? Hi there. Uh, Yes, I'm sorry to say that uh, it took basically self-interest for college professors to write into the Department of Education and say that unfairness shouldn't be, be allowed uh, they were afraid that the same standards that were going to be applied to students would be applied to them in terms of sexual harassment charges, and they didn't want a lowered standard from uh, either, uh, basically the standard used in the universities was clear and compelling evidence, and they didn't want lowered to presumption of, uh, you know, preponderance of, of evidence, and uh, in self-interest, they have stood up for students. I don't. I guess, in some sense, I should say, "Well done." <laughs> you stood well, up at all. Yeah. You, you mentioned being. Uh, they're, they're standing up for fairness on some basis. Fairness is better than than unfairness. You mentioned Anne Ryan, Ayn Rand uh, previously. I mean, isn't self-interest all um, her big thing? And and so, isn't this the only way that professors should act? Should they not? I mean, why should they come out for equality and freedom for their male students when they're not a male student? Well, there might be a reason because they want to continue to have a job, and as part of that, they want the college to be somewhere that everyone will want to attend, including male students, and so. Maybe they'd have a slight incentive from that perspective, but I'm pretty sure it lights more of a fire under their butt if they're actually on the line for the same accusations as the students would be. But the, Ayn Rand never argued for self-interest as a as a psychological thing in terms of whatever I want. It, it's a it's a philosophical, rational self-interest, right? And and which means that's universalizable. It, every single person has the same self-interest. Every person has the same rights. 
And, you know, you have a, a choice, I guess. You can say that that uh, self-interest means that I should get whatever I want and damn everyone else, and we can look at a society where I'm the top of the heap, I'm the king or the ruler, and, and, and you know, screw everyone else. Uh, or you can have a society that respects the rights and, and the ability of everyone, everyone to to trade and, and uh, be equal. So, Wendy, so, well, I have a question. What can people sure. do about this? If they disagree with this, what can they do? Because it seems like to me that it's just one of another set of bureaucratic rules, and there's not much accountability for the people who issue these rules from on high. So um, is there anything that people can do? Yes. The one thing, the most effective thing that people can do um, is to expose it. Mm-hmm. He who doeth evil hateth the light. That I they do. I don't mean to give you a biblical um, uh, solution to this, but the fact is that most of what goes on in decent society, and I do believe that people are decent, I do believe that most people have goodwill, do not rob, do not steal, and treat their neighbors decently. In decent society, this goes on because it is unknown. And you hear these stories on TV, you hear um, broadcasters saying, so, you know, that the Duke lacrosse case has been, you know, that, that three young students were illegitimately, unjustly, their lives ruined mm-hmm. because of an accusation, and we all say horrors, horrors. If, in fact, all the underlying policies that enabled and encouraged that kind of horror were a matter of, of public record, people who are sending their sons off to school this September would write letters of protest to the universities, would write letters of protest to the Department of Education, and this could not happen without either public assent or public ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's happening now, I think, with public ignorance. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I was ignorant about this until I found out about it from this interview. And yeah, so- I, I, same here. I got called on this interview mm-hmm. uh, with the opportunity to put, put you on. I hadn't heard this either. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, the poor guy that was giving me a call was confused because he had, he, there was, I made no effort to protest in any way, shape, or form about the interview. I just kept on saying, yes, yes, what time, when, you know. I mean, <laughs> so I think it was somewhat befuddled. It's, <laughs> he probably gets a little more uh, uh, resistance um, in, in most cases. So- I mean, you know, somebody calling me with an interview with Mindy McElroy wanting to talk about, uh, you know, a feminist wanting to talk about issues that are negatively affecting men. Yes, I do want that interview. Give it to me immediately. Mm-hmm. So. so, Wendy, I have one last question that I would like to ask you, and um, I think this is a big one, because when people hear this uh, press release going out about this new rule that makes it easier to level accusations against men, uh, I can hear some people, especially people who identify as feminists, saying, well, you know, what about the rights of women? It can be really difficult to come forward when there's a sex crime that happens or even when something just, you know, that makes someone uncomfortable happens like sexual harassment kind of situation, you know, how can women make sure that they are empowered and that they can protect themselves and that they don't uh, experience um, violence or basically behavior that makes them 
feel uncomfortable in the world in which we live, where I think gender ideas are changing. I think things are getting better as time goes on, but we're not completely there yet. And and how can women kind of uh, protect themselves? I must disagree with you on one thing. Okay. I think we are completely there now. I think we are completely at the point where women's voices are as powerful as men's. I think we are at the point where, in fact, women's voices are legally credited more than men's. So I think we are at the point of equality. I don't know. Uh, and I, I think we're largely there. Maybe a small disagreement, but I, I, do, I do think that I've experienced some uh, discrimination based on sex in my lifetime, and I'm a pretty young woman in my 20s. So I don't know, but I, I think you're right. It's definitely gotten better over time for sure. Yeah. But culturally, mm-hmm. I mean, has the discrimination been cultural rather than legal? I mean, oh, it's yes, I, definitely sure cultural. Everyone I talked to would say that they have experienced some discrimination because of their sex. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you're going to see attitudes that re- rebound and reflect upon you. In terms of the, the system, in terms of policies, in terms of the laws, I think that women basically are, are privileged right now rather than discriminated against. I do not know a single charge that can be brought against a person that is damaged by fairness in terms of adjudicating the person that is being accused. What about uh, toplessness? Just to play devil's advocate, because there's this is an issue that comes up sometimes around here in New Hampshire. Uh, topless equality <laughs> for women and men? You mean being naked? Yeah. The torso being naked? Right. Okay. <laughs> I well, think there might be some discrimination, at least in some places, based on that. In oh, the, sure. Under Absolutely. the law. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I, okay, I'm, I'm just facts. nitpicking here, so go go on, Wendy, and just tell, <laughs> tell us what you think. <laughs> that facts here and there. <laughs> you want to strip naked and go in the studio right now and go topless, I'm for you. Go, go, Stephanie. <laughs> I Thank am you. too. <laughs> 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 I'd be more they likely to do it for Wendy. Well, you know, it takes a while to send bail from Canada. So. <laughs> uh, thank you. So, okay. So, in the very briefly, um, just what do you think that the best way for women uh, is to basically, you know, uh, help them not in not get into situations or not encounter violence or uh, sexual issues on campus? We got about twenty seconds to answer, to answer your question. In, in terms of when there is an accusation, the best thing for women is demand hard evidence and just standards, the same as for men in any kind of accusation. In terms of not getting into these situations, I can't, I would say use, use judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get I, drink, I, to, don't drink to the point you can't think. Yeah, that's a good rule for anybody. That would be a good rule. Wendy McElroy, thank you for this interview. I really appreciate you.
Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. Please, this is the live Sunday show. Please feel free to uh, give us a call at 855-450-3733. Chime in about anything you'd like. We were talking, we had an interview there with uh, Wendy McElroy. talked about feminism, gender equality, uh, lower standards of proof and sex crimes for male college students, uh, these new federal government rules and that kind of thing. And uh, Stephanie, what this brought up for us during the, during the break was uh, sort of a conversation about when is rape rape mm-hmm. and since this is you know we were talking about sex crimes it makes perfectly good sense we're just not uh, chatting about this kind of thing but it, it was an interesting conversation that came up in the studio during the break and i thought it would be interesting to the listeners if we put the conversation on air and uh you know what we were talking about is kind of uh consent i guess and mm-hmm. and this issue comes up a lot and i think it is related to liberty because you know as people who value freedom we want to interact with people in a consensual manner right we want sure. our dealings with people to be voluntary and oftentimes when there's alcohol involved consent you know, can get muddy it can become a very big gray area so so there's there are people out there that would not perhaps uh you know you know they they act differently I act differently people act differently when they've imbibed alcohol it's yeah. you don't really drink at all right No I just just not That's my your interest thing, right Yeah so um people act differently when they imbibe alcohol they're more likely to uh, it's it's been used as an aphrodisiac for you know as long as it's been around <laughs> I suspect if aphrodisiac means getting someone to pass out so you can take advantage of whatever the whatever it takes you know what I mean? no I, I think it's it's true sometimes when people get a little bit buzzed or whatever then maybe they're more likely to do something that they wouldn't otherwise more do. amorous uh, but you know i mean if one thing for instance i mean everybody's seen somebody who is uh, beyond the capability of make of consenting because of alcohol they cannot consent to sex because they are yeah. just too drunk yeah but one has to ask themselves like how what about the other person how far are they into that realm of drunkenness and um, yeah like if two people who can't consent to sex have sex with each other while drunk like <laughs> what do you do with that? Right, what kind of ethical situation are you in? There? It's a tough scenario. <laughs> Is there you a know? victim? And <laughs> you know, so you've got one girl who's had uh, ten beers and she's well beyond the uh, the ability to consent, and a guy who's had five who's well beyond the ability to sort of make good rational decisions. You know, what about that situation? So you've got a there. You have a disproportionate amount of alcohol consumed, even even if it is equal. Different people metabolize it at different rates. They're different sizes. So I mean, these sure. these make for tough scenarios. Yeah, um, and it's so. Fun funny that this happens so often with alcohol, like where people get into gray areas where it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it could be rape. It could be kind of date rape or it could be dubious consent or yeah. it could be nothing wrong. Excuse me, nothing wrong. Somebody just made a decision that they maybe regret a little bit later, you know. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I've had kind of sex with people that I regretted doing later. That doesn't mean that it was, you know, that certainly oh, sure. wasn't rape. Um, but I mean, you know, it's I've dated unpleasant. people who later on. You know, completely sober, had a relationship with people who later on I thought back and said, "Mm, maybe that wasn't a great partner, Mm -hmm. you know, so consent can change over time. But I I think certainly it's been the case where, uh, you know, people have reported rape where there hasn't been rape because they were upset with the way, um, you know, things went, um, you know, that evening or or whatever. And, you know, yeah. And I think when we have the the injustice system that we have right now. Um, where it it is biased, there there is a gender bias, as Wendy was alluding to in, in her call. That you know there is this kind of uh, ease of making accusations, I guess, um, for certain people. And then there there have been cases where 
um, people's friends have reported sex crimes yeah, sure. that maybe the victim didn't actually want to report. Or right, so you know the situation may be that a girl has sex with a guy consensually or you know semi-consensually or whatever. You know, Mark, can I just make a little point? It's striking me kind of weird because I've been thinking about this recently. When you say "girl" to mean "woman," like you would, you wouldn't call an adult man a boy, right? So uh, there have been times when I've done it. Yeah, I, I suppose there are times, but it's so frequent in English. You know, it's just it would I would enjoy it, it more if you would say woman instead of girl. The, 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 and that's a that's a valid statement. But if I um, if I say you know boy or young man referring to somebody under the age of twenty five, to me that would mean nothing. I would I would mm-hmm. even say it out of hand. So you know, sure. I'm what I'm thinking about is college age students here, and I do consider uh, you know young ladies in college to be girls because they're just they're they're younger. You know, they they don't have the the same mental capacities. They are but not making decisions a, a at the level of, that I am. Yeah, of course they're not. I mean, well, maybe not, of course, because I'm sure there are people, um, I don't want to sound ageist, I'm sure there are people in college who make great decisions and, you know, are oh, yeah, I'm sure emotionally mature. better than I do. But, <laughs> but, but they're not girls. And I, I think that's the point. I mean, it just, I think it would. Do you would, know what I was saying before? Because I don't now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about consent and in cases where it's a little bit gray area. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting if people would maybe call in and bring up their dilemmas that maybe they've encountered. And uh, I've got one. OK, um, this one has nothing to do with alcohol. I okay. dated a girl in high school um, for a, a quite some time who didn't want to have sex until she got married. And this wasn't really a religious decision. This was just a decision that she had made in her life. And we never did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we dated for more than a year, um, you know, sort of on again, off again, whatever. I mean, I don't, you know, just no. So you're defining sex as intercourse intercourse okay so did you do other things other things that? certainly mm-hmm. happen okay so um i want to try to try to imagine a scenario where you know you're talking about what how old was i 15 16 year old uh, boy um who uh, you know wants very badly to have sex his first girlfriend sure. um you know and, and you know we would be naked together, moving back and forth on each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, doing everything, like putting our parts together and things like this. <laughs> it was inches away from happening, right? Right. Yeah. But, I mean, really, it really inches away from happening. Yeah. And, you know, so what if I decided to, you know, fake uh, slipping and just go <laughs> ahead and, and do something like that? Have I committed rape? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that from a technical standpoint, I didn't get consent. But right. I do think that there are these varying degrees of rape. I mean, if you, so if a girl consensually uh, gets a guy very, very excited while she's naked underneath him, like there's a lower, you know, <laughs> like the punishment but, would be so significantly, um, should be so so much more significantly low. Actually, she should be the only one that could meet out a punishment. And by that punishment, she should just refuse to speak to him again. That should be the only punishment in that to me in that circumstance. Now I never yeah, did well, such a I, thing because I respected her decision. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the well, same that, time when I look key. back, that's that's the key to that situation, Mark. I think is that you respected what she what her wishes were and what her preferences were. Sure, and you you didn't do the one thing that she didn't want to do, and you found some creative ways to get around that. And, but if you're sitting on this jury, Stephanie, what, how would you find this guy? Like, oh, is there it, a jury? Well, I mean, I'm in that saying, case, you were both probably 15 or 16, right? And so actually, in some she was two cases, years older than I was. Okay, so then she was 18, she I was 16. maybe statutorily raped you according to the state, well, right? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bringing those charges. Well, right, and that's the thing. I, I think the state should not be involved in something like that. And in a case where it's... Well, you think that there should be punishment for one of these... When, when we use one uses the term rape, like a real rape, you think there should be a punishment for that, right? 
Um, yeah, and I would like, well, I, I don't know if I would say punishment. I would like the victim to be restored or restituted in whatever way she possibly could, or he, because men could be raped too. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I like the concept of res- restorative justice. Rather do you than consider punishment. these to be s- similar scenarios? When you're talking about the real rape and then the, the, the scenario that I've put forth for you, mm-hmm. do you consider those to be equal in any way? No, they're different. I mean, they're, they're really just entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not entirely different, but they're, they're different by degrees, by a great deal of degrees. A great deal of degrees, yeah. And I, I think. And I just I don't think, think that the, could... the, I th- the only punishment I can see in this scenario that would be appropriate for the young man, the imaginary me, um, in a, in a you know, different life, would be simply to be broken up with and never be spoke to again if that's what she wished to do. Or she could be angry or she could be, she you know, could talk thank- to you about she could be it. thankful that it happened because she was just hoping it would happen. I mean, like a whole no. variety of things. No, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you could imagine this situation going too. like, let's say that, you know, you did this slippage thing. Right. And and she says, OK, stop that. That's I, maybe it was an accident, but I didn't want that to happen. Let's stop. And you keep going. Then it's a little bit different than if you say, oh, I'm so sorry. And it was a mistake. You know, indeed, it's different. Indeed. So and and but I mean, there you can envision a similarity because in all of the situations that we've been discussing, there's kind of a. Uh, attitude of lack of concern for one person's preferences, right? A, a woman in this, in all the situations that we've discussed, it's been a woman. Um, a woman does not consent to sex or doesn't want to have sex, and a man has sex with her anyway. So there's an element of non-consent there or rape there. Um, it, I think it's just a matter of like how can the victim be restored in, in that situation. Instead of how can the aggressor be punished? What are what's some borderline situation that uh, you've heard of or experienced or whatever uh, regarding uh, sex and rape and where's it all end? Free talk live. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. Do you smoke cigarettes? No. (laughs) Not you, Stephanie. Somebody out there listening to me smokes cigarettes. If you do, you know they're not particularly good for your health. Some people would even say... They'll increase your chances of, say, lung cancer, emphysema, and many other things that are likely to kill you. There's a healthier option, 22,000 times healthier. They're called e-cigarettes, and you can get one from Vaporsmiths.com. Vapor, the e-cigarettes that Vaporsmith produces are significantly of higher quality than e-cigarettes of other brands, often many other brands of e-cigarettes. Many of them use them the chintziest parts they can. Vaporsmith has a larger uh, vaporizer and uh, produces more nicotine uh, for you to uh, smoke, but not any of those other carcinogenic materials. Pack-a-day smoker will save about $120 a month. You can get a free starter kit by using coupon code FTL. Get free shipping by going to Vaporsmiths.com. That's a pretty good deal. Free starter kit and free shipping. Buy 40 cartomizers with coupon code uh, FTL. They're $69, and that'll get you the whole deal at 855-2-GET-VAPOR, Vaporsmiths.com. 855-2-GET-VAPOR, Vaporsmiths.com. We have been talking about a very touchy subject here. What else is new? <laughs> that much <laughs> is true. Every time we have a... Sort of about when consent ends and rape begins. And um, let's go to Rita in Illinois. Rita? 
Hey, greetings, comrades, and useful eaters across the nation. Hey, I've been listening, you guys. And, uh, you know, we got co-ed dorms now, and everybody just sits around and drinks, and they all act like idiots. And I just wanted to say, I don't know, I think that you could fit 5,000 angels on the head of a pin, or maybe 10,000. I don't know, let's argue. This is the most asinine radio show I've ever heard. And you guys can just sit there and argue, and don't call her a woman, call her a girl, don't call her a girl. You people are nuts. Thank you. Well, somehow you kept listening, Rita, huh? Don't you think that it's important to know? (laughs) Just thinking, it oh. might be important for people to talk about these subjects. Uh, the reason being yeah. is, if uh, you know some person who is uh, in, uh, you know, might be in this scenario at some point in the future, you know, when you think about these subjects, then maybe you'll come up with some answers beforehand rather than trying to come up with them on the fly. Yeah. Because that's how one makes good decisions: being prepared to make decisions. Yeah, I think this is a situation that a lot of people can relate to, actually, because. You know, thinking about it in your life, you know, have you ever come across a situation? Maybe it wasn't a sexual one. Maybe it was just something else, you know, where you there was kind of dubious consent. And how do you handle that, especially from a libertarian point of view? It's interesting. Uh, Rita called in on a um, one of our call in lines here in the studio, which means that she must listen on a pretty regular basis because she has the <laughs> old call in line. Yeah. She didn't call in at eight, five, five, four, five, zero, three, seven, three, three. So, hey, Rita, nobody's forcing you to listen. Right. Well, or and secondly, <laughs> this is the you know, you can call in and change the subject. If, right. If there's a subject that is, um, you know, preferable to you, mm-hmm. you think there's something important because uh, obviously, obviously, there are a lot of important issues flying around in the world today, mm-hmm. and different people have different views on which one's important and which one isn't. That's fine. You can call in and talk about whatever you want, but it's obviously not going to change what we're talking about if you just call in and say, this is dumb. Well, what do we do? Turn off the mics and leave? Yeah, give, it, give us something to work with here. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Sur- And plus, there are other people that want to talk about it. So let's go to Surreal. Calling- oh, wow. We haven't heard from Surreal in a long time. Surreal calling from My any nightclub. <laughs> Hi, guys. Yes, great to hear you again. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Indeed. Yes, it has. So what, are you t- what's, uh, what would you like to talk about, Surreal? Well, I wanted to sort of uh, throw some things out there. I'm sure there may be some agreement and disagreement. One of them is this. Men will always be held responsible for their actions. Women will sometimes be held responsible for their actions. And I used to fight that, and I think that's not such a bad thing, really. Okay. A, Explain to me. Can you be more specific, Sur- Surreal? Certainly. Um, Well, and I'm not just suggesting this, like, when it comes to the law, you know, it's just the case that men are held more responsible. That is the case. And I'm not, and, and, and I think that's all right. So, and when it comes to the law, women can be held less responsible because they've got more excuses that people believe or will go along with, or, you know, you can use premenstrual syndrome has been a successful defense for various things in the past. I don't know of any cases offhand, but it has been done before. I'll take what, your word okay, for it. Okay, Surreal, and... when you throw out something like that, I mean, you know, please like let us know what case that was that somebody has used premenstrual, syn- premenstrual syndrome as a defense. But, I mean, I can tell you as someone who works in the medical field that some women experience severe premenstrual symptoms, and they're, they include pain, you know, and uh, mood changes. And so there are a lot of reasons why that might affect someone's behavior, especially if they're in pain. Exactly. But when it comes to committing a crime or harming others, then this has been, and I'm really sorry, I, I, this is something I thought of just a second ago. It's been done 
I'll have to look in the case well, log. If, yeah, uh, I can't really just let something like that fly without well, a little bit more uh, Certainly lots of things like, um, you know, <laughs> mental illness have been used in many excuses. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, you know, so, I mean, this is only a variation of that, right? I mean, pain causes people to think unclearly. So, sure. I mean, that, that would be a, a reasonable it, – it would be some kind of argument that could be made. So I don't know, I don't know that I'm prepared to dismiss it out of hand. Go ahead, Surreal. Anyway, here's, here's the main point I wanted to get to. The reason I think that it sh- almost should be the case, and when I help men with their dating lives, I teach them, you will always be held responsible for your actions. Therefore, you should rarely, if ever, drink when you go to a nightclub to meet a woman. You don't want to have a mistake. You want to have your brain ready. You want to be able to know what her state is so that you will not be in trouble and she cannot use the, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, uh, I was drunk, so that you will not take advantage of that. Even though it is the case that women will often get drunk so that they will allow themselves to have a sexual experience that they normally wouldn't. They need to have an excuse for themselves and for their friends. So yeah, that and it's surreal. Oh, if I could well, just jump okay, in, I, I think that's unfortunate. And I think I think you're right about that, especially because there's so much repression in society and a lot of the guilt that comes from religion, which most people are raised with. And they're taught that, you know, their own bodies are bad or dirty or they're taught to not talk about sex. Like pretty much everyone gets those messages from culture. And so it's no wonder that a lot of people, you know, will drink as an excuse to do things that they might not do when they were completely sober. But I, I, I agree with what you said a little bit earlier about it's probably not a good idea for anyone, men or women, to go out to, to a nightclub and, and get uh, so drunk that their decision making ability is, is really impaired. And especially when you're looking for Someone to date or well, someone to tough, meet. This is a tough scenario because, mm-hmm. uh, for one, you don't drink, and so the you know discussing this, you probably you don't quite quite understand that the fact is for oh, most. Oh, Mark, I've been drunk before. Uh, I've but, drank but, alcohol before. Indeed, just, but most people when they drink, they t- tend to continue drinking throughout the evening. Mm-hmm. I mean, alcohol is this funny thing. It's you know most. It's not particularly common for people to say you know i uh, i'll have one or two or whatever and then stop i mean it can be it's certainly people do it people can can be done but alcohol is sort of this progressive thing that continues going surreal please hold the line i'd like to continue with you here at free talk live 855 450 free but um you know different people react differently to this stuff Mm -hmm. but people are still responsible for their actions i'd agree with that Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. You know, it's the show about your calls. Let's go straight into calls. Um, Let's go to Surreal at any nightclub. We were just talking to Surreal. Surreal, please continue. Hey. It's great to be here. I wanted to theorize, if I could, and I know Stephanie may not agree with me, about the reasons why men will always be held responsible, and should be. I think it's because men are in better tune with their body. Oh, this is going to go well. And it seems, it seems yeah. like a pretty big generalization, Surreal, but go ahead. Well, if I may, um, when a man, even a boy, 
becomes a tiny bit aroused, his blood blood begins to fill his penis. And it physically moves. It physically moves and gets bigger. So he's completely aware of when any subconscious arousal is happening because it becomes conscious quite quickly. It's different for a woman. Now, it's true that blood does fill her sex organs, but it's much less so. It's more subtle. And her arousal, she will not even be aware of her own arousal until she's quite aroused. Don't you think that's true? Uh, no, I don't think you can say that about every woman. I mean, I think... Well, they've done studies on this. There was a study from the University of Toronto where they put um, blood pressure sensors at the sex organs of men and women. Yes. those. So, sure. By the so way, men, those studies are known to be susceptible to biases. <laughs> you know, sure. those kind, kinds of studies. Well, it also showed some other things. And I, I, you know, can agree with you that studies need to be replicated. This one, I think, was because it was such a surprising find. They showed women and men images of uh, sex between heterosexuals, homosexuals, animals, and then naked aerobics. Mm-hmm. What they found is, and then they asked the subjects to please tell us when you become aroused. It would have been the naked women, aerobics for me. <laughs> well, it's funny. Women were much less likely to, to uh, say they were aroused, but physiologically they were. Um, the other interesting thing is that women were much more likely to become aroused at things that men found less sexual. For example, the naked aerobics. Men would, would get aroused, but then they get bored quickly, whereas women would get aroused and then stay aroused. So Not where so where are you going with this, Surreal? Are you saying that women yeah, have, really have no idea when they're turned on and they just need a man to tell them exactly when they're turned on? I like that one. <laughs> no, what I'm Funny. saying is that men have to realize that women are incredibly sexual creatures and they're usually, their sexuality, their feelings of sexuality are feelings, um, emotions usually. Men's feelings of sexuality are physical. We have to be careful Understand that the wonderful women were trying to bed and provided an emotionally wonderful experience as well as a sexual experience. Have to be handled with kid gloves. And we have to understand their perspective and we have to realize that she doesn't feel aroused right now, but she might be. And there are ways to tell and to continue and to test. And uh, men are responsible for this. Surreal. women. So you actually did. Be. You're actually saying that women don't know when they're turned on, and they need a man to tell them. I think that's, that's what he's saying. That's uh, no, 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 not no, no, something. No, no. I'm, I'm sort of saying that, but not really. I'm saying that men have to be careful, and they cannot assume a woman is aroused. Everyone has to be but, careful. <laughs> right, but but men have to um, get past the tests that women throw out, and men have to put out tests of their own. Because a woman's not going to say, wow, I'm really turned on by you. They don't do that. But there are subtle ways of finding out and learning and, and turning her on, in fact. Surreal, so surreal, surreal. You're, you're really, really generalizing here. 
I mean, there are some women who are a lot more direct and will say, Oh, there are certainly are some, but I mean, one one has to generalize. Is when one is one's target is women, one would have to generalize when making, uh, you know, decisions about how to go forth and uh, you know have conversations with women. Cyril, thanks thanks for the call. Yeah. Um, I'm going to break the rules here oh, on uh, Free Talk Live. Um, normally, it's one call a night, but. You know, in this circumstance, uh, Rita has called back. She has some rebuttals to some things we said um, to what she had to say off air. And, you know, frankly, if she's uh, as good on the air as she was on the phone, I think it's going to be worth it. Rita? Very good. Thank you very much. Okay, I did. I have a free air satellite dish here. And there are like two channels. I was looking for something else. But anyway, as I, as I unmuted it, I heard what you guys said. You know, and then I heard her say she's in the healthcare industry. Have you had TQM management, uh, a TQM uh, training there? Stephanie, have you hospital? TQM Well, it, it would be nice if you'd call me by my name, Rita. I'm Stephanie. She, she I don't know your name. I yeah. wasn't listening that long. I'm sorry. I didn't know your name. I'm politically incorrect again. But well, you listened to the training. whole show. You criticized every topic that we had talked about on All the entire I, I, show. I, I, so. I know enough when I hear something that's really crazy. Do you know what TQM anyway, is? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, TQM. No. Okay, total quality management. They might call it something else. A dialectical training. Same thing as in the purpose-driven church. Same thing as outcomes-based education. And you want to get consensus, and you want to handle the felt needs of the masses and everything. But you know what? Let me tell you this. If you meet someone in a bar, you're crazy, okay? There's nothing but losers in the bar. In the brave new world, that's where they meet them at the disco. You know, and every I've, I've been a, I was a hostess for one of the largest dating services in Chicago, all lifestyles, too. And I've seen it all. I've worked at Limelight. I've worked at Berlin on Belmont in Chicago. And I've been around bars quite a bit. And I'll never go near them again because you will only meet a loser. So if you're in a bar and you're getting drunk and you're drinking with guys or you're drinking with them in the dorms, you deserve what you get, okay? It's stupid. Go to church and meet somebody. If you can find a church, it's not purpose-driven, you know? Rita, I was in agreement. Rita, Rita, I was in agreement with you right. when you said the thing about... Until it's, I said the church, right? It, it's it's, it's not a good idea right? to uh, meet people in bars. Can we focus on that? I, I agree with you. I would not want to meet Absolutely. a person in a bar. Anything to do with drinking, and you're not going to meet anybody. You meet people at your work. You meet people through other ways, you know, but to go to a bar, that's the brave new world. Go, go check out Brave New World. They all meet in the disco. And, well, and sure, you know, it's, it seems like if you're looking for someone who has a, right. you know, you Sometimes want to people build... are just looking for hookups, um, you know, to have sex, Rita. Exactly, would and you're you going to get hooked up. Right, I mean... And don't it... complain about it. Right, well, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm know? with you. I, I'm absolutely with you. Now, I have a question for you on this one, Rita, is... Um, what is somebody who's perhaps agnostic, atheist, non-religious, where do they go to meet people? Gosh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, because uh, I, I personally, <laughs> atheist, agnostics and stuff like that, you know what, if you really want to get your whole liberty back, you're every, no one, you'll never be satisfied because everyone's got their little politically correct thing and what should people do when they don't get the right consent and everything. You're going to be going back and forth. It just sounds like, I hate to say it, but the head up the um, rectum kind of thing. These are all conversations that are really irrelevant. That's a personal responsibility, how you handle Well, yourself. it's a good thing you have two channels on your satellite, Rita. <laughs> when they send Feel free to change to the channel. Okay, well, I guess I will change the channel. Well, Keep it up there, huh? See you later. Th- thanks, Rita. Uh, you know, I, 
I, I don't think that the conversation's entirely irrelevant as to I don't think it's irrelevant at does, all. Does um, you know when does sexual consent begin and when does it end? I mean, if you don't drink, and what about what about consent as far as like signing a contract? I mean, if oh we God. could we could I talk think it's about possible. We could talk about contract law. I mean, there are if you were say a professional basketball player and you had groupies, you might be able to pull off something like um, consent mm-hmm. through a contractual basis. But the average guy is not going to be able to pull off a contract situation with the average girl. It's going to throw everything into a uh, tailspin. And oh, I wasn't suggesting to make uh, contracts with people that you might hook up with in a bar. But you know, Mark, even you've said on on the air before that you've made agreements with your wife. Right? Yes, we've written down agreements that we've made, and we both signed them. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're contracts in the sense that uh, we have uh, contracted ourselves on a moral basis. They're not contracts, and maybe in a legal right. sense. Well, I was thinking an example along the lines of like you sign a contract with a cell phone provider, right? But in the contract, it's really it's twenty five pages long, and yeah. it has all this fine print, and they can change it at any time and not have to tell you. And is that really valid? I don't. I don't. Think I don't that's know. A real it, contract. Yeah. Free Talk Live, Free Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. If you're looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear, ManVentureOutpost.com carries knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser sights, tactical flashlights, fish finders, and boating equipment. ManVentureOutpost.com. They're family-owned and members in good standing of the Better Business Bureau. You know how important that is when ordering online. Order from a reputable dealer so that you make sure what you get is what you want, and you get it quickly. Some prices, in fact, are so low they can't even be mentioned on the air. You can get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. Get it quick. Get it from manventureoutpost.com. You know, um, Rita just called in, and you know, I've got a, I've got a defense of our topic, which she considers to be frivolous. The defense is, is we had Wendy McElroy, a, uh, a, a, one of the biggest voices in um, libertarianism and feminism, on in the first hour. We discussed all kinds of topics, and um, you know, with her, and got one call um, in regarding it. Mm-hmm. We've had several calls in regarding this topic. So, mm-hmm. if it's frivolous, at least some people want to talk about frivolity. Right? Sure, sure. Lance, in Colorado, frivol away. <laughs> I just want to say I love the show. Uh, I've been turning a lot of my friends on that are my age. I'm 27 on to the show. Uh, I just think she's completely wrong. Uh, I've dated, I'm a college graduate. I've dated a lot of girls, and uh, I'd say 60 to 70% of the girls I'm with or start to date will immediately let me know um, I'm really being turned on by this. Uh, you know, this is awesome. This is the way I want to go. You know, we'll we'll actually lead you into, you know, you should do this. This is what I like. Yeah, uh, I think that's great. Even starting that. Uh, Lance, I've got to say that I think that things have changed in the last couple of decades. And I yeah. think that they've changed Definitely. to some extent by the, the discourse that has been propagated between men and women. That, would, that was not a conversation I was having back in the 80s with, uh, you know, young ladies that, um, you know, I, honestly, I, I, you know, it didn't 
didn't have conversations like that. Just didn't happen like that. Um, you know, the ex- expectation was that you would perform in the uh, absolute best fashion without any kind of feedback, as <laughs> if you know how to do that. As if the, uh, the yeah. an owner's man, That's as if they took you aside unfair. in gym class and taught you how to do this. They don't. Not to mention that every There's a lot more pressure. That's you know, what I'm saying when someone tells you what they want and you can go ahead and attain that. It's a completely different thing than just reaching for the stars and hoping, okay, well, hopefully she likes the same thing as this other girl who I dated two years ago because they're kind of alike. You know, (laughs) it just makes no sense. You can't just generalize. You cannot just generalize, especially with women. Communication makes things way better for both people. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and I wanted to try to change the subject for a second, just throw something in there. Um, Obviously, I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm sure you guys have heard of a lot about the medical marijuana. I'm sure you get people calling up and stuff. It's legal there. Think about that and solving a lot of the issues we have in America right now and just taxing the hell out of us. I think that's what I do. I'm a, I'm an eight year grower. Um, and I just feel like, what is an eight year grower? I don't know what that is. Uh, I've been growing medical marijuana now for eight years. Uh, also, you know, retailing it, uh, Basically, in all I've got a problem with medical marijuana, and here's what it is, Lance. You do? Yes. Okay. My problem with medical marijuana is that uh, medical marijuana was legalized in California in the mid-90s, early 90s, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. then um, when they brought up Proposition 19, was it, to legalize marijuana entirely, it, among other groups – Medical marijuana growers were against the legalization of marijuana. And the reason that I don't like medical marijuana is that it it pits people that need marijuana for medical purposes against people who um, or people who want to provide medical uh, marijuana to people who use it for medical purposes against people who want to use marijuana for recreational purposes. I believe well, you own your body have, and you should be able to smoke anything friends. you want. Well, and I have friends that are in the business as well, and, and some of those are, are the people you're talking about who are against it, who are against the legalization, because they make so much money now. That's the reason. They're going to lose money. Absolutely. And I, I'm disgusted by that. It is I'm disgusting. Person, I would love to take a pay cut. I would love to pay hard taxes so that we can help the schools, help education. And I can actually do I don't something think that, I love. I don't, yeah. actually, I don't think that actually works, I couldn't Lance. get behind any taxes. <laughs> no. I think you should keep what you earn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that you should keep every dollar you, um, you make by selling marijuana to people who want it whether they want it for medical purposes or not yeah that's exactly that's that's exactly what i was thinking before mark that the problem that i have lance um with medical marijuana and it's not much of a problem i i definitely think that it helps people who need it cancer patients aids glaucoma all kinds of things but i don't think that the only reason that someone should be able to smoke marijuana without fear of being thrown in jail is because they're sick i i think that you shouldn't have to be sick in order to to have it so that's just one of the uh one of the issues I have. No, I did. I definitely, I understand that a lot of people have a lot of different issues. My parents had huge issues with it uh, until the last couple of years where, you know, I walked them into massive grows and explained, this is what I do for a living. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And I would love just to be able to do this. You know, I love it so much. I, I've seen the firsthand benefits uh, with certain people. I'm not a college dropout or some kid who didn't make it through high school and has no education and just figured, well, this sounds like a good idea. Let me just try this because there's a lot of money in it. I could be doing anything. I've done sales. I've done a lot of things, but this is something that I've worked my way into and found that the people around are certain people in this industry are amazing. You Mm -hmm. know, just give, 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 and would love to just be able to do this. It must be a very rewarding career, I would think. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely interesting. Well, thanks thanks for the call. I really do appreciate it. 855-450-3733. 
you yeah. know, I, I think that it's very interesting, the whole idea of the medical marijuana, because obviously there are people who need it. There are people Definitely. who absolutely need it. And, and I've heard, you know, the it's people... It's legal in, what, 15 states now, uh, medical marijuana. And I think that that yeah, helps... What will, what will happen when it's legal in 50 states and the, the federal government still doesn't recognize it? And they say it, it's a class... Um, what is it, a class four or a class one? I can't remember. A substance that has no medicinal value, which yeah, that's is clearly what not it's, true. It's absolute nonsense, and they're just trying to protect their little yeah. bureaucrats who have uh, these pointless jobs and, ruining people's lives. And by the way, I want to make it clear, you know, smoking marijuana is not my interest. It's just not something that I like to do. But I don't want to see people thrown in jail for it, for growing it, for gardening. Gardening is not a crime. For smoking it when they're sick, that's definitely not a crime. Or for smoking it for fun. That's not a crime either. I I don't think it is. I mean, not when alcohol is legal. There's Why no should victim. marijuana be illegal? It, it you know it makes absolutely no sense to me. I find and, it baffling. And quite honestly, we've been talking a lot about alcohol tonight, and alcohol is very well known to impair people's judgment, to affect their decision making abilities and their their coordination and all kinds of stuff. That driving on alcohol is very dangerous, and you know marijuana just doesn't have those same physiological effects that alcohol has. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a lot less dangerous, and it definitely causes less uh uh induces less violence in people i mean sure. if, if you talk to anyone anecdotally they'll have stories of bar fights and people getting drunk and domestic violence and all kinds of stuff like that but how often have you heard stories of people smoking pot and fighting i mean usually they just get sleepy and laugh <laughs> you know it just it, <laughs> it's just really the end of the story i mean very few people smoke pot Beat their wife, beat their kids. Um, I've never you know, heard of beat that. Beat their spouse. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> or uh, you know, get into fights and things like that. It just doesn't. It just doesn't happen that much. And frankly, when it comes, I don't think that people should um, use anything, any t- intoxicant, and then operate a motor vehicle. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the scenario, and I'm not saying that this makes it okay. I'm just saying that the reality of the scenario is that you will probably operate a motor. You will operate certainly operate a motor vehicle uh, better if you're smoking pot rather than drinking alcohol. Alcohol is, you know, it just makes it far worse as far as operating a motor vehicle. I guess comes. it would depend on how much of each substance you had, but I think, yeah, generally... It's, dosage is true. a big issue, absolutely. Well, um, and look at look at the way that people view in society driving while tired. I mean, I know a lot of medical residents who drive cars to and from the hospital (laughs) a medical resident if they're driving at all is driving is going to be extremely tired yeah and there have been studies that have shown that driving a car while well sleep deprived on less than five hours of sleep the night before is like driving drunk it's the equivalent of having a couple of glasses of wine or something like that texting while driving has been shown to be more dangerous than driving while drunk right but you can you can uh, you can get get thrown in jail for having an open beer in your car Mm -hmm. but if you have a cell phone that's turned on sitting in the passenger seat you won't get thrown in jail i mean this, or paying all attention to of... a kid in the back who's crying sure. or a kid in the in the passenger seat or whatever i mean there are a myriad are of kids ways even allowed in the passenger seats anymore i, I think i mean that... when i was a kid we climbed all over the buick century um, i'm not i'm not up on this <laughs> but I'm, i i don't think you're even allowed to put any child that's a you know like under the age of 65 pounds or something like mm-hmm. that in a front seat mm-hmm. i think that i mean they have like to be the... in a in a uh child seat right i don't know that they have to be in the child seat any longer if they're above a certain there's different thresholds okay it's advisable and i see why it's advisable and i'm going to do that for my child because i think it's advisable but um i think they just have to be in the back seat then again you shouldn't take legal advice from me on free talk lives live (laughs) well i'm sure i'm sure the internet would have the answers or maybe someone could call in but the The point the the point i wanted to make was that the way that there are myriad of ways that one could drive dangerously and most of those ways are you know not really looked at askance by most of society but uh you know when we're talking about um uh 
alcohol and marijuana, a lot of people kind of consider that not that big of a deal. So I don't know. It's 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 strange. It's a double standard. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here, 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live is live seven days a week, not just Sunday nights, but uh, seven days a week. You can find us at freetalklive.com. We have all kinds of listening options there for you. We are on 109 wonderful radio stations around the country. We have a live stream, of course, at freetalklive.com. You can listen there. We have satellite options, uh, free to air, and uh, we're on XM. Um, Thanks to XM for uh, hosting us. Uh, There's the webcam at cam.freetalklive.com. You can listen there and interact with uh, chatters and uh, see what's going on in the studio. And, of course, the listen lines. You can, we have telephone numbers that you can call in and listen to the show. If there's no other way for you to listen, you know, this is the way to do it. It's, uh, all of that can be found at listen.freetalklive.com. The, the website is interactive. You can upload uh, stories and blog posts and things that are important to you. You can vote other people's up. They can vote yours up. You guys can vote each other's down. It's, a, it's one big voting mania over there at Free Talk Live. Let's go, excuse me, freetalklive.com. Let's go to this interesting story, a class action suit has been um, says that Florida Highway Patrol has been illegally ticketing motorists who warn others about speed traps. I never knew anything about this. But let me go on here. When the uh, because you lived in Florida for I several did. years, right? But but I, I thought that this practice was completely legal. When the oh, so you were aware that they were doing it, but you thought I it was legal? No, no, I thought that I didn't. I didn't know that they were ticketing anyone for this, and I didn't know that they could ticket anyone for this because I thought this practice, and I'll explain it to you in just a second what the practice is, Mm -hmm. um, was completely legal. When the Florida Highway Patrol pulls someone over on the highway, it's usually because they're speeding. But Eric Campbell was pulled over and ticketed while he was driving the speed limit. Campbell says, I was coming up to Veterans Expressway and noticed two highway patrol cars sitting on the side of the road in the median with the lights off. Campbell says he did what he usually does. He flashes his lights on and off to warn drivers coming the other direction that there was a speed trap ahead. According to Campbell, 60 seconds after passing the trooper, they were on my tail and they pulled me over. Campbell says the FHP trooper wrote him a proper for improper flashing of high beams. Campbell says the trooper told him that uh, what he had done was illegal. But later, Campbell learned that this was not the case. He filed a class action suit, which says that Florida Statute 316.2397, which, uh, uh, which was under which uh, Campbell wow. was cited, does not prohibit the flashing of headlights as a means of communication, nor does, a, does it in any way reference uh, flashing of headlights or the use of high beams. They're just ticketing people on a fake number. Wow. And, and I want you to think about this, people. And nobody if, checks into it. Right. Except if, this one guy. <laughs> if, a, if a highway patrol person were to pull you over and say you can't wear a green hat while operating a motor vehicle and cites you under section um, 947.21AB72, <laughs> I mean, really, what are you going to think? You're like, okay. <laughs> I don't know that crap. I think nearly everyone would say that. Just a, oh, okay, what am I going to do? Right. And I mean, the green hat one is obviously a reductum ad absurdum. But in this case of flashing the high beams, there's really. Oh, but did, you, 
Have you ever had a new car or maybe a rental and you were trying to figure out where the high beams were and you flashed some stuff around? And I mean, it's there's... I, I, I suppose I've done that, but I've, I've definitely flashed my headlights at pe- people coming because there are cops back there. You rebel. I do it all the time <laughs> because I don't want people to get tickets because yes. I think it's, you know, I, I think mean, it's a decent human being thing to do. For if sure. I've got a fuzz buster in my dash. I know that the cops are coming up. What's the difference between me warning somebody that they're coming up? I mean, I, I just don't understand this. Sure, sure. Uh, however, the FHP trooper who wrote the ticket either didn't know or didn't care. You could tell in his voice he was upset, Campbell says. He was professional. He wasn't rude. But you could tell he was irritated. However, the lawsuit says that the Florida Highway Patrol is well aware that they are wrongfully applying the state law and they are doing it as a means of generating revenue. In 2005, a court order was even issued saying the state law doesn't prohibit the flashing of vehicle headlights. Campbell isn't the only one. Since 2005, FHP records show that more than 10,000 drivers have been cited under the statute. This is, <laughs> you know, since, 2000, since 2005. This, people, is your rule of law. This is this is what people are always talking about. This is a nation of laws. Like hell, it's a nation of yeah. laws. When the highest law in laws Florida... Laws for you, not laws for them. ...tells yeah. the FHP that they can't do something, and then they do it 10,000 times after that, there is no rule of law. And I mean, there's, there's circumstance after circumstance after circumstance in situations like this, and I find it so annoying when people say these things. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if this was a rule of law, if you're going to claim that this nation is built on the rule of law, you should be able to cite that. Yeah. And you can't cite it because I can cite all kinds of instances against it. If this is a nation of laws... You can say that there are laws, certainly, but the idea would be that they would be then enforced uh, evenly. All there has to be is one variation from that for that to not be true. Either mm-hmm. laws are even or they are not. And everybody knows that cops don't cite cops. Everybody knows that politicians don't have to follow the law. Um, I've heard so, you make that point very convincingly when callers bring it up and say, this is a nation of laws. It's, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. they just repeat the things that they've heard. Let's go to Kurt in New Hampshire here real quick. Kurt. Kurt in New Hampshire. Yes, sir. I just wanted to talk about uh, car seats because I'm one of those people who actually put my kid in the front seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you... I had to disable the, the airbag. The reason for the rules about not having kids in the front seats was because of airbags. First, they made a rule about having airbags, made it a law you had to have them. Then kids started getting killed from the airbags. They, they said, well, you've got to make a law that says kids only in the back seat. But, of course, there are some cars without back seats. Yes. So then they had to make a law saying you can have a kid in the front seat if the airbag is disconnected, but you can only disconnect it by law. And the whole thing was just a mess. So I pulled the plug on the airbag and put my kid in the front seat so I could talk to her. Are you in a, 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 are you in a vehicle that uh, has more than just two seats, just front seats? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, SUV. An SUV. So um, you have uh, disabled the airbag for the safety of your daughter, and, she, yeah. and you allow her to ride up front with you. Do you use one of those little uh, booster-upper seats? The unambiguous law is that the kid has to be in a car seat until they're 80 pounds or 8 years old or is, some combination. Is it eight, 80 pounds? was in North Carolina. Anyway. Okay. No, I remember when I was a kid, yeah, maybe it does vary by state, but I just remember a couple of times when I was a young person that the law changed. Like first they had to be facing the front and then they had to be facing the back of the car and then it, the weight limit changed. And I remember it's my... Perfect, 
Go ahead. It's a perfect example of intervention. The first intervention creates problems that create that cause the second intervention to seem reasonable, yeah. which causes more problems. So they have to intervene again and again until you get this morass of laws over which you, you really can never be certain you're following the law, and it's applied mm-hmm. arbitrarily. Yeah, yeah, and and the difficulty is they 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 go and they cite you for this rather than sort of you know bringing you up on the the law, um, you know, and telling you what it is. They cite you for this, and and, and usually you have to pay for it. I, I would bet that usually they're only going to cite someone for this kind of thing if they get into some catastrophe of a car accident. And then it's like, well, your kid was facing the back instead of the know. front, so. I mean, how else would they? I can find tell out? you, my wife was, wife was petrified um, mm-hmm. over the uh, the whole thing. What I think the I think the rule was two years old. The child could be turned around or something like that. Uh-huh. I decided when Jack was uh, one year old, one year and ten months, that we were going to turn him around because I had to take the thing out or something like that, and his legs were getting all bunched up against the seat, and it was mm-hmm. just it was uncomfortable for him. He didn't yeah. like being in the seat, and so I just turned it around. It just made her crazy with anxiety that we were turning that kid around two months before it was legal. Now. I ask you this. Wow. How is a state police officer in the state of New Hampshire going to look back there and say, that child isn't two years old. That child looks more like one year and 10 months. I mean, it's not like you're obligated to carry a birth certificate for these children. But I mean, this just goes to show how ludicrous the law is. You say, yeah, he's two two years old. His birthday was last week. What are you going to do about it, pal? And they would ticket you, you and then they would probably put the burden on you to prove that he was actually two years old. And that's that's one of the problems, because then they can create so much extra work for you and have place this burden on you to prove that you're innocent. Basically. Well, he should have to do some investigation. Do a little police work, pal, and find out whether or not the, the kid is uh, under two. Kurt? Yeah, burden of proof has been completely turned around in the United States. That's for sure. Absolutely mm-hmm. the truth. So it's oh, 80. Uh, one more thing. Mm-hmm. The, the folks in the chat room really like to know who the girl is who's sitting in front. Excuse me, the woman is who's sitting in front of the. <laughs> Not allowed uh, to say girl door. around here. This I'm is sorry. You're the, allowed to do whatever you this want. This is Allie. Wave, wave, wave may, Allie. May I, say, may I say the pretty blonde? <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed you may. Okay? Uh, real quick, Allie, okay. just say hi into the microphone. Hi, everyone. <laughs> there you go. Allie's just sitting in the studio and, and, and observing the show. Free Talk Live, 855 450 3733. Talk Live, 855-450-3733. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. 855-450-3733. Social Security versus private retirement accounts. Professor Anthony Davies analyzes Social Security through the lens of a typical 22-year-old American. Assuming Social Security is completely solvent, which doesn't seem very likely, uh, the expected return on an investment is far lower than a private account. You can go see this video and just the explanation. It's amazing when you can see Anthony Davies working with these graphs and showing you the difference between, say, putting the same amount into a Social Security account versus being forced to uh, use the government's uh, account. You'll be extraordinarily motivated. And you can share this video with your friends and family. You can put it on Facebook. Share it with your friends. Go to learnliberty.org slash FTL. It's learnliberty.org slash FTL. While you're there, check out the Liberty Academy link on the right. It's a course for people who want free online continuing education, economics, philosophy, liberty, and rights. 
LearnedLiberty.org slash FTL. Let's go to Vince in Indiana. Vince. Hello, Mark and Stephanie. How are you folks doing tonight? All well. Hey, Thanks, I, Vince. I wanted to push or state something here. With the Florida Highway Police or Florida Highway Patrol officers were doing is wrong, but I think this points up more of a need because you've talked about various police, state police, local police departments. I think this points up the need to be going back to where the Constitution and a local era, sworn local sheriff, because the sheriff is the duly elected uh, officer of the law by the county mm-hmm. and all states because. He is account. He or she is accountable to the people in that jurisdiction, not the police, not the state police. You know, if you just turn the words around, state police, it becomes police state. Well, I'd say that that's I mean, more true. That it, it appears to be true until you realize how many sheriffs are corrupt, and then how and <laughs> yeah. how um, yeah. you know messed up the whole uh, you know the whole idea of democracy, you know, a representative democracy really working. I mean, you know, I've I've see, read stories and certainly heard many more cases of sh- sheriffs being uh, you know the, the being. You know the major drug dealer in town. Yeah. Uh, you know guys being so corrupt that you know that there is no way to get around them. But somehow or another, they just keep getting elected. And I don't know whether it's payoffs or people are, just don't know. Are all sheriffs always elected, or are some of them appointed? I think they're almost all elected. Okay. All I just can't. Rem- I can't really remember the last time. I, I guess I don't pay much attention to these things anyway. But I can't remember the last time there was an election for a sheriff that I knew about. Uh, there was one in town. Uh, I think it was last year um, here that you know I voted in. And mm-hmm. and once again, it's did a your situ- vote make a difference? Well, I I I don't know. I didn't see whether or not it was uh, one vote separating. Yeah. But. You know, this is one of those circumstances where you're choosing between the lesser of two evils. You know, there's a guy that was running that I consider to be a really bad choice against the incumbent. And, you know, I put a sign out for the incumbent whom I don't know very well and have had altercations with um, mm. in, in the past. And, you know, this is not a guy that I am on the side of or anything like that. But this other guy was just really bad. Vince, you got anything else? Well, the other solution I have for lots of you know, elections is none of the above. I mean, that's been pushed by the Libertarian Party. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like that. I've, none idea. of the above. None of the above wins. The office isn't filled. Yeah. If, that's if, not going to go through. It, indeed, it's not. Elections have been canceled. <laughs> indeed, it's not. not canceled, but, but they've had elections, you know, where, you know, where they didn't get enough or that nobody voted for somebody. Yep. And then they hold another election. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What what Vince is referencing here is that um, you know there's if libertarians have wanted this none of the above option, so that if they vote in none of the above, that means that nobody fills that option. Yeah. That 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 position. So if um you know the president, if somebody elected none of the above in the presidential uh, seat, then there would be no president for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen with president, but it has been the situation in many local elections where nobody has cast a vote a vote at all. Yeah. At which point they will either hold another election, yep, they'll appoint they somebody do. or something like that. Now, we're not talking, generally not talking about mayor or something like that. It's usually some, you know, minor p- position. It's actually happened in my town where I live, um, you know, that they, they mm. had, you know, <laughs> nobody will run for a position. 
Yeah. And you know, there's there's a lot of positions that it, basically there's no pay, and your it, it's your opportunity to be on the uh, the you know the the cemetery um, committee or something like that. And you can see why you know people don't run for the cemetery committee. There's no there's no flash and sizzle to the to being on the seminary committee. Well, lots of people cemetery. have lives and jobs that but the cemeteries are... do need to be taken care of right i mean <laughs> yeah well gonna... actually funny enough i mean i i knew some people who lived in free grafton and they had a, a plan to privately take care of the cemetery and actually um you know i guess suggested to someone in the town that they write that item off of the line items on the town's budget you know for cemetery care because someone would actually do it privately and I think they were successful. But people do it um, mostly when you're talking about libertarians and agorists here. They're doing it for philosophical reasons. And that tends to run out of steam over time. You know, if I decide to take care of the cemetery that's across the street um, from my house or whatever because it's convenient for me or whatever, I can move. My life changes. My circumstances change or something like that. And then it basically falls back on to the, uh, the town again because my next door neighbor is not going to do it because I did it for five years. It probably depends on who's in charge of that particular task. Until there's a profit motive, it's it basically the tragedy of the commons. Somebody has to own it, and if somebody owns it, in this case it's owned by the town, then you know they, they, they care for it, and that's really where it all comes from. The town is a, a, usually but a terrible you, steward. You could argue that the, the, the town is also the tragedy of commons. The town owning it, so-called, is also the tragedy it of the is. commons, because there's no real owner. It's supposedly everybody's, but nobody's, and you know you can't really go out into the cemetery and have a party there, right? Because you, <laughs> the time- I think that it would depend on. Uh, I don't know how many people go into the cemeteries to have parties, but I've certainly been to the cemetery at large gatherings. Of course, mm-hmm. there was a dead person involved. Sure. Um, and well, yeah, know. I'm not talking about a funeral. I mean, I'm talking about just going. I don't into know who their- wants to do that. I well, mean, I, I yeah, don't live in that not, world but- where people are saying, hey, "Let's go meet in the cemetery and hang out." Um, okay, but theoretically, kids but, like, drink you, there. You sometimes. couldn't live there, right? Like you couldn't set a tent and start camping on the cemetery because, because you don't own it. The, the town t- owns it. Well, right, but it's supposedly everybody owns it. So I don't think that that's true um, when it comes to these, uh, you know, these small towns. No, right. it's not. I mean, the town owns it. <laughs> right, they're well, responsible just, for the uh, the administration. Of I, it. I'm just saying that to point out a flaw in the notion of public property, so called. It's kind of this weird, um, ambiguous way of owning things where everybody and nobody owns it at the same time. There are philosophical uh, difficulties in uh, we are all the government and the government owns this piece of land, <laughs> but it's easily um, remedied in real life, which is the government is an organization that owns that land and they decide what the, the, the use of it is. And the government they, people will always take priority in their preferred use, mm-hmm, right? Sure, they will. Mm-hmm. And, and the, 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 the difficult part is they steal money from everybody in order to do what it is yes. that they do with their land as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, trying to come up with means, uh, you know, for you know, for instance, the people, the the families of the people that are buried there, perhaps they should pay a little money every year to keep the cemetery up instead of the town keeping it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't that make sense if you're interred there or, you and know, there are private cemeteries that exist, right? So this is not a crazy, wacky business model. There are I'm lots sure. of private cemeteries. Absolutely. And they're paid by maintenance fees from the families who have probably not even maintenance fees as much as uh, just a one time fee that's put into some kind of escrow account that yields mm-hmm. enough interest that uh, somebody can make interest. They make some money. And continue to care for this, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a Ponzi key scheme, as it were. Sure. Free Talk Live, 855 450 3733.
Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live is and has always just about been brought to you by the Free State Project. Free State <laughs> Project is an, is an idea of moving 20,000 liberty-loving individuals to one state. That state is New Hampshire. We have done so. There are many things going on from media, civil disobedience, political action. There's been lots of success uh, in the last oh, five years or so since uh, you know we've moved here to the Free State Project. And I'm really proud to have moved and excited to see what's going to happen in the future. Uh, if you're interested in the ideas of liberty, personal freedom, Check out the Free State Project. I think that it is uh, one of the best ideas going. Um, as, oh yeah! As far as it uh, far as it goes, I mean, you know, free. Check it out, freestateproject.org. Now, Stephanie, you said you had an article here that uh, um, that I want yeah. to talk about, and it's about the costs of war in Afghanistan. And I think that everybody, vaguely at least, knows that. The U.S.'s military adventurism has cost taxpayers so much money. Well, actually, it it hasn't cost them that yet because most of the money is borrowed, right? (laughs) The federal government borrowing money they don't have. uh, It's it's, it's an onus to be be paid upon our children and grandchildren. Yeah, stolen from the unborn, right? Or some of those who were just being born. But, you know, everybody knows that it has a huge monetary cost as well as uh, not to mention the cost of human lives. I mean, comparatively few U.S. soldiers have been killed compared to... um, People who are civilians over in the Middle East and Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Libya, everywhere, (laughs) everywhere that the U.S. is currently in. But, um, you know, this article kind of brings a little bit more of that into uh, focus because it gives some details about exactly how much things cost. And by the way, this is from a Canadian newspaper, so it's a little bit less likely to be biased, I think. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you know, it's going to have... Uh, everybody know, has their biases, yeah, right? Everybody but. has their biases, but I think that you've got to look at uh, newspapers from around the world and try to come up with what you think the truth is out of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the the dateline is Kandahar. Summer in southern Afghanistan is a blast furnace. I Tem- bet it is. Temperatures rise over 50 degrees Celsius, and for people who don't understand Celsius, <laughs> that's... Really, hot. really hot. <laughs> oh well, one hundred and twenty degrees. Something they like take, that. They take care of that by air conditioning the uh, the the troops' tents with uh, with with diesel <laughs> generators. Uh, yeah. If, and and as I understand, uh, diesel fuel is something like two hundred dollars a gallon there. I've heard numbers higher, uh, but I, d- I haven't heard any lower. So two hundred bucks a gallon mm-hmm. to uh, to put the generators on, which are not the most efficient way of producing electricity. If oh, they right. were, but all houses you're... would run on generators. <laughs> <laughs> right. But when you're spending other people's money, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Who let's cares? air condition it's the troops' tents. At the expense of everybody else. Right. Yeah, so air conditioning is what allows the frenzied pace of NATO's war during the fighting season. The price is astronomical. Americans have calculated that in the past two years, they have spent $20 billion on AC. <laughs> $20 billion on just air conditioning. Just air conditioning. If you add the rest... Uh, if you add the rest of NATO, that figure is probably well over $24 billion. That means the coalition forces spend more to keep themselves cool each year than Afghanistan's GNP. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's, so- it's completely... And most of it comes from Americans. Every drop of fuel, drinking water, and every as well as every morsel of food consumed on NATO bases, is imported into this landlocked country, most of it trucked in through Pakistan, and the cost is enormous. This year, the U.S. Congress approved $113 billion U.S. dollars for Afghanistan, which is five times Canada's total defense budget. From October 2010... So, the U.S. Congress this year um, approved a fund five times as large as the Canadians' defense budget just just for for Afghanistan. One of the six wars that they're fighting. 
Yeah. I mean, this article is just packed with statistics like this that'll just make your jaw drop. They're just on. Well, I mean, maybe it won't shock libertarians or people who are anti-war, but it. Ugh. I didn't know They're this stuff. I mean, I don't know that I'm shocked. I know that this uh, this this war and and the thing that one has to keep asking oneself is what is the achi- what are they hoping to achieve in Afghanistan? Yeah. What are they at this point? What are they hoping well, to achieve? Well, you got to finish what you started, Mark. I'm not sure what the uh, what we started. We got we're in to win it. <laughs> we <laughs> we got a horse in the race. Who is we? <laughs> and what are we going to win when we win? When when I go to this fair and I throw a uh, baseball at a you know a pile of bottles, I get a Cupid doll. What do I get <laughs> when when we win this war? Well, we're liberating them. Who's we? <laughs> <laughs> I give up. It's hard the, to play the, a. The status. ones that are piled, uh, dead bodies are piled like cordwood. Did they? Did they win liberty too? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, they're liberated <laughs> from their bodies. Yeah. What's well, you got you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> From, you got to you got to have silly trite little aphorisms like this in order to uh to Oh, they, to all they do crap. is just shut off discussion. I mean, it's meant to shut off people's brains. They're just there's no logic behind them. They don't make any sense when you start to ask questions. But anyway, so Not for, trying to make an omelet. <laughs> From October 2010 to May, the U.S. alone spent $1.5 billion on 329 million gallons of fuel to operate its generators, vehicles, and aircraft in Afghanistan. So only in Afghanistan, $1.5 billion on fuel just to operate everything. Uh, this works out to be four fifty-five per gallon, which is not excessive, but it does not include the high cost of getting that fuel through a war zone. So this is just the cost of the fuel, not the cost to transport it in. Okay, because I heard it was 200 and, right. and this is the thing, is so, you can only believe what you read in the news newspapers, and I've heard $200 a gallon. With, well, it but, says that according to Stars and Stripes, which is a military magazine, that increased the price tenfold. So 10 times 455 Yes, gallon. 45 a gallon. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I would guess in some of the more dangerous areas, the price goes up to transport it, right? Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's on average. I don't know. I mm-hmm. mean, you know. Yeah, As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, the, uh, the story that I'm thinking about was written about a particular forward base. Mm-hmm. So maybe I drew a conclusion that, that, that the, pri- the price for fuel at well, that Well, and I'm forward- also not clear if this is in Canadian dollars because this is a Canadian article. So Are maybe- they about the same right now? Uh, approximately, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, Western companies have the transportation contracts and they pay Afghans security companies to assure the safety of the shipments which uh, means that these, <laughs> these security companies are gangs of people that would otherwise be shooting at us yeah. so this is just pay off money to al-qaeda essentially afghan for the security companies often owned taliban. by warlords and prominent government officials pay taliban leaders not to attack them and in this way western money helps support the insurgency yes so what that, don't attack us while we're bringing the fuel there attack you know you can attack us once we go on patrol it, it's crazy. I mean, this this story is just out of this world. I mean, I I'm just shocked to hear some of. The, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm shocked. You know, I, I you know I I think that these numbers are always interesting when we're talking about you know budget deficits and and things like that. I think that we could probably really put a big dent in the budget deficit if we just got out of these people's country. There's nothing to be had there. Mm-hmm. That's the the point. You know, I mean, the, the, I guess the best argument one can make is that it'll create a vacuum. That will propagate terrorism. Mm-hmm. What they don't say is, well, it's already propagating terrorism because, you know, when you fight a war, you have to kill people. When you kill people, you piss people, other people off. Right. When you piss those people off, they want to be terrorists. Plus the fact that this war is inexorably 
com- uh, attacked, attached to the one in Pakistan. Yes. In Pakistan, the hardliners, who are in the government in many cases, get very upset with these wars, people being killed, innocents being killed. I mean, the the, the numbers are, um, you know, the numbers are very high, sometimes 20 to 1 civilians to terrorists, depending on who you listen to. But I'm sure that the terrorists are listening to the 20 to 1 number. Sure. Uh, The CIA will tell you, we haven't killed a civilian in Afghanistan for two years. They're obviously crazy if yeah. they would say that. I mean, how can you have, how can you be that efficient at killing terrorists? And what this does, and so of course, the, you know, the other side gets pissed off. And if these hardliners in Pakistan, who are some of them whom are in the government, just say, hey, terrorist, Mr. Terrorist, here's yourself a nuclear weapon. Go have fun with them, United States folks. I mean, tell me that that's not propagating terrorism. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just get out of these people's country. Let what happen happen. Uh, uh, You know, uh, allow people to trade freely. Allow them to put their own governments together. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed that I get lumped into this we of America, you know, bombing people all over the world, you know, sending these unmanned drones Doing all these horrible meddling things in other people's. I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to be connected to it at all. You know, I I would like to divorce myself from the federal government. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not real interested in that. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, given the high cost and vital importance of fuel, you would think the military would not want to waste it. Not at all. High-ranking officers such as a Canadian general who's in charge of packing and moving Canadian equipment out of Kandahar are driven around in the base by armored Toyota Land Cruisers with V8 engines and their own drinking water coolers. Sweet. Wow. Nice to be the king. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. It's a sickle toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live, the live Sunday edition with Mark. And Stephanie. You know, not too many live Sunday shows out there on uh, in radio land for the average consumer, but Free Talk Live, it's, we think it's important that you get live content. That's why we do Free Talk Live seven days a week. Now, that doesn't mean that every host works seven days a week, Stephanie. You're, uh, you work seven days a week, Mark. I am right now. Yeah. Uh, Ian has been – well, th- there's some good reasons for that. <laughs> Ian, the main host of Free Talk Live, he does Monday through Saturday and uh, usually does not do Sundays, never does Sundays. He is uh, in jail for standing in front of a police car for because he felt they were taking a woman, young woman to jail for inju- unjustly. He is in, in on his 19th day of a 90-day sentence, and uh, I certainly would like to see him back soon. I have had to take over sort of all business at Free Talk Live and make sure that everything's running properly because I normally have a business partner in Ian and he's away for up to 90 days or or more for that matter. Who knows? I mean, if they... They've got other charges he has on them. Other they could, trials yeah, coming up. It's mm-hmm. good uh, for doing other civil disobedience. So anything could happen. But um, I so I have to run this. I could choose to take nights off. Lots of people have uh, volunteered to uh, help me with uh, you know being on the air, and that's how Free Talk Live operates. Is we have lots of different hosts. We don't call it the Mark and Ian Show for a reason. But you know, my wife's away, and this isn't like it's really work. I sit down and talk and do the same things that I would normally do, which is talk about the ideas of liberty. I mean, you know, they, there was a hurricane supposedly that rolled through New Hampshire today. <laughs> I mean, the hurricane, the hurricane that wasn't really much. Um, I did see one tree limb down and you know, so what would I be doing otherwise? I'd be sitting at home with the dog watching TV. 
and not really that exciting. I'd much rather do this. This is, I mean, it's not, you know, my real work is done Monday through Friday by making telephone calls to advertisers to get them to advertise on Free Talk Live. And that's where the, the real work is involved. And that's how we, we make paychecks around here is through advertisement. Mm-hmm. But we do have a program that allows people that believe strongly in what Free Talk Live does, which is bring the message of liberty to people who otherwise would never hear it. We bring that message to them, and we bring it in, in a hopefully an entertaining fashion. Those folks often join the AMP program. The AMP program is a program that we've set up that uh, we use the money uh, of people that have, uh, you know, subscribers essentially to our, our commercial free podcast. We offer a commercial free podcast to the amplifiers, and we use their money three dollars a month on up depending on what they want to contribute to advertise, market, and promote Free Talk Live, to do the sort of the the business end of it, the things that we may not otherwise be willing to spend our own money on as far as advertising. It's hard, right? It's hard to say, oh, yeah, I'd like to spend $1,000 a month on a Talkers Magazine ad because I don't have any place I could use that $1,000 a month um, in my real life if that was my paycheck. And Ian and I would kick in, say, 500 bucks a piece to do that. That's difficult to do. But the amplifiers, they give their money for specific reasons. It's not available for paychecks, so we always use it for the these kind of things, and that makes it a lot easier. So go to if you want to if you're interested in the AMP program, get signed up. If you've been listening to the podcast for years, this is your opportunity. You know, do the right thing, sign up for the AMP program, or promote Free Talk Live in some manner. It's amp.freetalklive.com. And also promote.freetalklive.com has free ways to help promote the show too. That's right. And 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 you know, during this time when Ian's away, the AMP program is a really great way to show your support for Free Talk Live, so show your solidarity with Ian because frankly, stuff costs more um, mm-hmm. now that Ian's away. I mean, he was, he, was, he was a lot of labor and <laughs> he's not doing it any longer. Yes, indeed. Anyway, so continuing on with this article that really hammers home the costs of the Afghanistan war. And by the way, the U.S. is in more than one war right now, not just Afghanistan. Depending on who you ask, um, there's three to six. Well, none of them declared, right? I mean, right. so it's not none official, of them are really but... declared. If you know, Afghanistan certainly is a big conflict. Iraq, there are fifty thousand troops there, and it was uh, the most violent month in Iraq last month, or something like that. You really can't say that war's over. No way. Uh, Somalia, uh, Yemen. It looks like Syria I'm is going to start, track but, of but, um, Libya, uh, I can't count, you can't actually count um, Syria, and Pakistan also. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's a different country, even though it's the same conflict, essentially. Um, you know, it's a different thing going on. Yeah, something's not working. I mean, I think if your goal is, well, if your goal is Violence war, and then, coercion is yeah, not working. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so continuing on with this article from the Montreal Gazette. Afghanistan produces large amounts of fruits and vegetables, but the handling of this food does not meet military health standards. The two main beneficiaries of the food management contracts are an Amsterdam-based company and the U.S. company KBR. They serve up to four meals a day. U.S. soldiers seem to have the biggest appetites. They order as many as eight eggs for breakfast plus sausage and bacon. Lunch and dinner are a selection of fish, beef, pork, and chicken. Got to make sure they're well-fed for all the killing that they're doing, right? Well, I mean, I'd want to be well-fed. Yeah. Uh, Hamburgers, hot dogs, and french fries are staples. Dessert consists of ice cream and a selection of cakes and puddings. But a lot of food ends up in the garbage. KBR also has a multi-billion dollar NATO contract to operate Afghanistan's three largest military airfields. War is good business. KBR alone earned 13.1 billion U.S. dollars from 2007 to 2009 from its logistics and maintenance operations in the U.S. 13.1 billion. 
That's quite a lot of money, huh? Yeah, well, you know, they're they're complaining about nickels and dimes going into the uh, you know the the, the federal whatever uh, you know the the National Association of the Arts mm-hmm. and PBS and things like this. And I'm not saying that I think any of those th- those those gover- are right. Th- those government programs are right. Yeah. But you're talking about nickels and dimes when you're comparing to numbers like twenty billion dollars. That's oh, a lot yeah. of jack. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I when you're talking about cutting funds, what this this most recent budget crisis thing where they went on in early August where they couldn't come to a conclusion really shows it. If you're not willing to give up other things, you're not going to get what you want. Mm-hmm. And the really the only fair way is to just give up something uh, you know in the federal budget that they're spending on. So if the Republicans are willing to give up, say, funding for the military, oh, well, we're going to drop this conflict in Somalia, drop this conflict here, that, that, whatever, then they'd get the cuts from the Democrats that they want in social programs uh, because, really, Medicare is completely unsustainable. There's no doubt about it. Anybody can look at the numbers and say it. But how can the Democrats look at their constituents and their voters and say, yes, we gave the Republicans everything they wanted and we got nothing for you? What do you think, fellas? I mean, obviously, that's not going to work. So this this is why I consider the ideas of liberty to be the only compromise. Not that I think it's a compromise that's going to work because politicians don't like to give up funding. But it's the only compromise that has a chance of working. There's no way that they can cut this waste because the military and every government bureaucracy is inherently wasteful. They're always going to be lackadaisical with spending other people's money because it's other people's money. And they have an unlimited source of it because they steal it by force. They take it, whether you want them to or not. And they print it. They just create more, right? Yep. More ones and zeros and more paper money. So anyway, the vast majority of civilian workers come from outside Afghanistan and have to be rotated through on tours. They pay no taxes to the Afghan government, uh, and according to the U.S. government, the annual cost of keeping a soldier in Afghanistan. Want to take a guess? The annual cost of keeping a soldier in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I'm going to go for $250,000. <laughs> That's an expensive it's, employee. It's actually $667,000. That's a damn expensive employee. <sighs> yeah. So now remember, United States citizen, this is your employee, supposedly. This is a government uh, you know, official, a private in the military, or whatever he is. $660,000 is what you pay to keep this guy on the job. Yeah. Uh, two-thirds of a million dollars. It's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, there's a savings to be had here. Yeah. And just, you know, let's just give it up. And that there's nothing to be had in Afghanistan or Pakistan or Iraq, or any of these things that is going to benefit you and me. Remember, It's just wanton destruction. That's all it is. I I don't remember if you... I don't know if you... Well, it's not wanton destruction in the sense that uh, the military-industrial complex, this is how they make money, so that, you know, that's why they they want this. But do you remember in the Iraq war, I mean, initially, I remember before it, we were kind of pitched sort of subversively, not through the politicians, but this is one of the things that, say, you know, uh, Republicans would say to each other, hey, at the very least... We can get some cheap oil out of it. We'll have some cheap gas prices oh, out of it. Yeah. Oh, really? Have that you gotten didn't, that? That sure didn't How's work out. How's your gas looking? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. and I, I've got to say that I remember thinking that. Well, at the very least, we'll get some, uh, you know, some lower price gas because essentially we'll steal it from them. It'll wow. be ours and not theirs. Well, a lot of people allege that that was one of the major reasons for going to war in the Middle East in the first place, and I don't know if that's true, but you it know, certainly didn't result in lower gas prices. It certainly didn't. Yeah, and. People also perpetrate this myth that war is good for the economy. Really, the only thing it's good for is the state. 
I mean, it's the broken window fallacy. If money is being spent on the military on bombs and destruction and stuff like that, it can't be spent on on bombs are something you buy that that blows up and goes away. Mm -hmm. And if destruction is good for the the if if destruction is good for the United States' economy, then it should be good for your own personal economy. So go outside and set your car on fire. (laughs) It'll be good for your economy. I mean, obviously, it's not good for the economy. Buying things that you blow up is not good for the economy. Blowing up other people's things is not good for their economy. All it does is create destruction. Yeah. Not good. Thanks for listening. It's been Free Talk Live. Mark with you. And Stephanie. Well, our live Sunday edition. We'll be back same here um, next week. And you can listen anytime in the meantime at freetalklive.com. We're live from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And there's uh, audio being played around the clock otherwise. Freetalklive.com.